Previously on Snicktoons. I was joined once again by friend of the show, Kurt Schmidt, and uh, we discussed part two of the Dark Phoenix Saga, X-Men the Animated Series Season 3, Episode 15, and it was a huge blast. Probably to this point, the best episode of X-Men the Animated Series yet. Uh, there have been a lot of great episodes. We're already about halfway through the entire series. Uh, and yet this episode, part two, just seems to be like the best episode. I mean, there's no way around it. It's uh, It's got a lot of great Wolverine, a lot of really great Dark Phoenix stuff. So just a fantastic episode. And it was an excellent conversation. Of course, before we dove into our episode breakdown, we compared a top five of our favorite Wolverine knockoffs, as there are quite a bit. <laughs> uh, and shockingly, we didn't really have too much overlap on our individual lists. So that was pretty cool. Uh, Ten characters, give or take, and and maybe eight of them were were individual characters. So that was, uh, that was a fun conversation. Of course, uh, we also had another snick tunes first with our very first ever censoring um so if you haven't listened to last week's episode go back and check it out because it was really fantastic and of course stay tuned because coming up soon myself and a returning special guest host are going to break down x-men the animated series season three episode 16 the dark phoenix saga part three the dark phoenix All right, bub. As you heard, we are back with a returning special guest host. I'm very excited to have her back on because it's been a couple of weeks <laughs> since she was on last. She helped us kick off the Phoenix Saga, and now she is here to help me break down the latest episode of the Dark Phoenix Saga, and that is my older sister, Ariana. Ariana, welcome back to Snicktoons. Hi, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's always fun having you on and uh, talking X-Men and, and talking about our shared childhood and stuff. And then, you know, getting to to watch an episode and talk about it is is always a lot of fun. So let me put you in the hot seat here and, and uh, ask you, Ariana, what kind of X-Men stuff have you been up to lately, if any? Um, Not much. Um, I was checking out some of the, the X-Men movies that are on Disney Plus. And I watched part of um, the first X-Men. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but you know how it is, you know, uh, with the kids. And then I've gone back to work. Yeah. So um, I don't always get to finish stuff in one day. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> you know, and other than that, the, just what we were talking about earlier is one of the episodes of She-Hulk that was that little tidbit in a newspaper that a character was reading that sounded like they were referring to Wolverine. But we're not. But you were saying maybe not. Maybe it's not him. Yeah. So um, other than that, that's it. <laughs> yeah. No. I, conventional wisdom would say Wolverine, right? It was like. Yeah. Uh, and spoiler alert for anyone that hasn't watched. Um, I forget what episode that was. Two or three of She-Hulk. I'm actually not watching She-Hulk. So, uh, but I I did see it was one of those episodes. Uh, but yeah, it was like man fights uh, or man with metal claws gets in bar fight or something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. And it's like. Who else has metal claws that would be in a bar and get in a fight? Like who else but 
but Wolverine. Yeah. Um, but you know, with this being the the multiverse saga that we are in now, you never know. Like, I, I think one of the things I had suggested to you is like, for all we know, that's just like one of the multiversal killmongers who is now in this universe with his metal, you know, Black Panther claws and gets in a bar fight because, you know, he's the kind of guy that would get into a fight with someone. So, like, you just, you never know. Like, it's, uh, like, I'm crossing my fingers and it's like, yes, please be X-Men. But, you know, we're in the multiversals, the multiverse saga right now, so anything goes. And uh, there's been a lot of red herrings and stuff like yeah. that before. You know, they, they teased us with uh, with Evan Peters. And, uh, you know, that was a, a huge X-Men troll, I feel. So this this could very well be Wolverine, but it might also just be, you know, secretly someone else. <laughs> well, there's another X- possible X-Men news, I guess. I can't think of her name. Um, that She's in Stranger Things, the girl with the red hair. Um, I don't want to ruin it if no one's watched Stranger Things. Um, that... Um, her future is looks bleak. Let's just put it that way. She was cast by Marvel. And so I was wondering, could it possibly be Jean Grey or Phoenix or something like that? Cause she would be awesome. Um, as that character yeah. or as X-Men. I mean, that's all, that's literally all it was. So she was cast by Marvel. Okay, great. <laughs> as, <laughs> nice. <Yeah>. You know, <laughs> um, you're, you're talking about the actress that plays Max. Yeah. Uh, yes. I want yeah. to say oh, yeah. Sadie. She's, she's great. What's her name? Gosh. I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, isn't it? It's, right. uh, it's Sadie Sink, I, I believe. That sounds um, right, yeah. Off she the top of awesome. my head, so I could be wrong, but yeah, no, she's she's great. I love her as Max. She's wonderful. And, um, <laughs> I watch these really bad Netflix horror movies called oh, Fear Street. I've watched all those too, yeah. Yeah, they're really bad, but she's yes, good. Yes, they are. <laughs> But but she's in one of she's in the what the middle one I think and she's really good too so yeah whatever like it, they want to bring her in as something I'm I'm behind that cast I don't even care who it is like I'm I'm well, that's I true. like I, I like her <laughs> yeah but the red hair you know so I was like oh <laughs> but we don't know but it's awesome that she was cast though because she's yeah I love yeah. the love Stranger Things and I love her so yeah nice <laughs> nice very cool. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't seen that. I've I've seen a couple of casting rumors. Like I saw a, a casting rumor that they've cast whoever's going to play Iron Lad for Secret Wars, and I'm like that. I mean, you know, that's like the end of 2024 or 2025, even like Secret Wars, like the end of Phase Six. I don't think we're quite there yet. Uh, but you never know. Like, it, I, I wouldn't put it past them to start, you know, maybe this actor is finally available. And so they're like, all right, we'll get him under contract now. Um, but like, I'm all, I'm down for Iron Lad. And like, I, I love Tony and I would love to see like a successor for Tony if they're not going to do his daughter. Right. That's uh, and that's not to, and, and it's not to say that like, I'm not excited for Rhodey as War Machine. And I'm like, we haven't seen Ironheart yet. She might be fantastic, but like, I, I'm all about Iron Lad. So. <laughs> I don't know much about Iron Lad except for I've heard the name. <laughs> I hardly know anything about the Young Avengers because I'm not yeah. like comic book wise. I'm not a huge huge Avengers guy anyway. I don't right. particularly like. I don't really read Avengers, so I don't read Young Avengers. I'm loosely familiar with the characters, but like I, I like I said, I love Tony. Tony is like my absolute favorite MCU character. 
And like, I've been waiting for someone to, to take up that mantle. And yeah, if they're going to go with iron light, if it's not going to be, like I said, his daughter, it's not going to be roadie or, or Riri, uh, then yeah, like I'm, I'm cool with iron lad. Is Riri the boy that he kind of mentored for a little uh, while? When no, super- Riri, Riri is Ironheart. Riri Williams is. Oh, is oh, yeah. oh, 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 okay. Okay. Yeah, are you thinking the, all I know is the name Ironheart and that she is in Black Panther. That's all I know. Right. Are you thinking her. the kid from Iron Man 3 who was also at Tony's funeral yeah. in Endgame? Yeah, I would love that kid to come in because that's a huge like plot hole, plot thread that needs right. to be uh explored again. Like where is that kid? Like he was he was a ge- like there was a reason why Tony left him a suit. Because right. the kid was a genius and 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 he had a good heart, you know. And he wouldn't just leave the kid, you know, something there. Yeah, he wouldn't just leave the kid in like that. You know? Well, and like they they wouldn't have brought him back for Endgame and shown him to us and been like, hey, look, we're gonna linger on this kid for a couple seconds so everyone could be like, oh my gosh, it's the kid from Iron Man three, and then and then <laughs> leave it alone. Yeah. Oh well, maybe. Well, no, because. They wouldn't have to recast because they have the same guy, you know, but oh well. Either way, um, this isn't even X-Men related. <laughs> I know. Sorry. No, it's fine. And we just spent like an hour talking Marvel stuff before we actually started recording anyway. <laughs> this would have been perfect for, for that conversation. But, yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, Sadie Sink would be fantastic. Even watching part of the first X-Men movie is is a fun time because that first X-Men movie is excellent. <laughs> yeah, I know. It is. <laughs> nice. Um, well, it's too bad that you're not I, – I should have coordinated and had you be the guest on next week because I, I sent you a gift. I bought you something on Amazon. It'll be – it should be delivered to your house on next Tuesday or Wednesday. Okay. Um, and I, it's the, the Marvel United X-Men. I know I had you on one of the episodes and, like, ranted to you about how I hadn't received all of my stuff yet. It finally got here months ago, and, you know, Maxton and Landy and I, we have, like, devoured it all. We've played everything a bunch of times, and, like, I still recommend the game to everybody, and I saw that it was on sale on Amazon. I don't know if it still is. By the time people listen to this next week, it probably won't be, but, you know, 10 bucks on Amazon. I was like, I have to get this for Ariana. I've... I've uh, I've bent her ear about this more than like my fair share. So I should send it to her so that she can be indoctrinated into the world of, of Marvel United. And, you know, the X-Men core set is fantastic. Well, Elijah said he'll play with me. So one of my kids is, is um, he likes games. So nice. <laughs> he'll, play with, he'll play it with me. Check it out. See what it's like. Nice. Yeah, Maxim plays. I mean, he just got for his birthday, he got a bunch of gift cards. And one of the things that he bought was the Deadpool expansion. So nice um, because he loves cable and there's a few comics with Deadpool that I've let him read um, (laughs) because for the most part, it's not really appropriate for an 11 year old boy, at least not my 11 year old boy, (laughs) Um, you know, other parents, whatever. But like this is how I'm raising my kid. Uh, so there's only a few things with with Deadpool that I let him read, but like they they love to watch the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon from a few years back, uh, and there's like two episodes I think with Deadpool in there that they absolutely love. So yeah, they go they go wild for Deadpool, and, and so he bought the Deadpool expansion, and he also got the X Force expansion for his okay. birthday. So 
yeah, he was able to put those. He's he's able to play as like you know Cable and Deadpool and stuff. So he's he's really been digging that. Yeah, I bet he loves that. Yeah. No, we we've played a couple of times. the The Deadpool box comes with like a villain Deadpool that you play against, a hero Deadpool that you can play. There's like a challenge Deadpool that's all about like breaking the fourth wall if you want to, so you can introduce some chaos into your games. Uh, and yeah, so he's been he's been uh, really enjoying all of uh, all of those Deadpool features. Um, so that's kind of what we've been up to lately. We just started playing like the team versus team mode. Um, I had tracked down some of the stuff from like the first campaign that they'd done, which was the non, that was like the Avengers based one, the non X-Men. Uh, but I tracked down like all the defenders characters that I, that I really wanted. It's so, like, uh, Daredevil and Luke Cage and Jessica Jones and Iron Fist. And it also has Elektra and the Punisher as heroes that you can okay. play as. And then I also got like the Kingpin and the Bullseye villains to play against. Um, and then I also got the Sinister Six box, so I got a bunch of extra Spider-Man villains to to play against as well, since Landy has the Spider-Man box. So that's what we've been doing. Um, but one of the characters that I also kept, because I've been trying to sell off all of my pieces on um, the Marvel United Discord. I still have about 10 left to sell, uh, but one of the ones I kept also was Quicksilver. I kept the Quicksilver hero piece to put him on my X factor team. So we did like a team versus team where uh, Maxton was havoc Polaris and Wolfsbane. And then I was multiple man, strong guy and Quicksilver. And that was fun. And we went up against the brotherhood. So we fought uh toad blob and pyro and you kind of comp- you, you work together to defeat the villain, but you also compete for like certain points. And then once the villains defeated, whichever team has the most points is like the winning team. So that was, that was a lot of fun. We've been getting into that game mode recently as well sounds fun yeah it's pretty good and uh and yeah that's pretty much all the x-men stuff i've been up to oh i did get um, a new x-men video game a few weeks back it was a game boy advance game called reign of apocalypse and i think last week i was telling my guest kurt uh that i was about halfway through one of my playthroughs and this time I, I beat one of the playthroughs as Wolverine, and now I'm about halfway through with Cyclops. So there's a, there's four playable characters. You can be Wolverine, Cyclops, Storm, or Rogue. And the, the premise of the game is like the X-Men, they're returning from a mission, and they get sucked into an alternate dimension where Apocalypse is like the ruler of the world. Oh, God. And so... <laughs> Yeah, uh, the 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 story is kind of lame, um, but you there's 12 levels and you play through and like each level you fight a boss or two and like sometimes it's a villain and sometimes it's a hero. Like I think we like we fought against um, Cable and Phoenix and like Nightcrawler and Beast and Gambit and Psylocke, but like we've also fought um, like Juggernaut and Blob and uh, Pyro. And, um, Silver Samurai was a villain. Uh, we fight against Magneto. So there's all kinds of different characters that you have to fight against. And then most of the, the, like, the faceless hordes are like sentinels and other kind of robot things. And yeah, it's, it's, it was, it's a fun game. It's, it's a little cheesy, but like, I got it for like 12 bucks. And so you can't really complain about a $12 X-Men game. Right. Sounds, you know, why not? <laughs> yeah, it, it passes the time on the on the can or whatnot. All right, so I mean, yeah, that's pretty much all the all the X Men stuff I have. 
Uh, I was hoping that uh, as we're recording this, you know, D23 is going on. I was hoping that we would have got some X-Men stuff, and I don't know if they're saving it for day two or not. Uh, but, like, even some X-Men 97 stuff, especially because they announced that, like, they already renewed X-Men 97 for, like, a second season. So okay. you'd think that they'd, like, want to come out and, I don't know, like, reintroduce the cast or, like, maybe reveal a few more additional characters, maybe even have, like, a sizzle reel. But I know with, like, with animation, they kind of produce, like, one episode at a time, so it's kind of hard to do... um like a trailer for a show if like only one episode <laughs> has yeah. been done. Uh, it, it's kind of hard to do that. So, and, and it's not supposed to come out season one until fall of next year. So we're talking like yeah. maybe a year from now where I'm we really finally impatient. get X-Men 97. So I'm really impatient for X-Men. They need to just, like I, like I said, half of the stuff that they're, producing i don't care about <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll watch it anyway and maybe i'll like it you know but i just want the x-men um i want wolverine i want to see all of them and yeah forever <laughs> yeah no no i'm i'm right there with you like earlier so they're doing d23 now um but a couple months ago for san diego comic-con in july they they pretty much released almost almost not not everything but almost their full slate for the next, what, two and a half years of of content, like all the way up through the end of, of phase six and the end of the, the multiverse saga. And there are only a few slots left that they haven't That's announced. Right. Um, and like, I, it, on the one hand, I'm like, I'm overwhelmed with how much stuff is going to be coming out in the next two and a half year. Like from now until the end of 2025, I'm like, on the one hand, I'm overwhelmed with the sheer volume of stuff that we're getting. It's right. so much. And on the other hand, I'm like almost like project by project. I'm like, I'm underwhelmed with all of the stuff that's been announced right. because it, it, and, I, and I'm, and I'm not like, I'm not trying to trash anything here. I know there's a lot of people that are super excited for a lot of this stuff and good for them, but right. it's not the Marvel characters or content that I, that I really care about. Like right. I don't care about a lot of the stuff that's been announced. I'm just like, meh. Like there's a couple of things I'm excited for, but like 80% of it, it's like I could take it or leave it, especially if it's going to be the same tone that we've had for this year. Like if you look at all of the Marvel stuff that's come out in 2022, other than like a few scenes in the multiverse of madness where like, Sam Raimi kind of went full Raimi mode and gave us like some horror stuff. Everything else tonally has just been like jokes and rainbows and I don't care. Yeah. I I mean, that's true. There's a lot of the, the, um, the storylines or the characters that they're focusing on. Um, either it goes in a direction that's, I don't want to say campy, but it's a little bit goofball. Um, Though I did like Loki, I did like um, WandaVision, um, but it's not the stuff that I would read, you know, it's not the stuff that yeah. I already know about, um, so I want to see the film. Um, I am kind of excited about Ant-Man because, surprisingly, I liked those films, and I was not excited <laughs> about them at all, at least not the first one. And then when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is great, you know. Um, so, I, But that's a long way from now, and I had forgotten that there's like one, like two or three 
little dots on the timeline there where they didn't tell us anything about what those projects are. So I forgot about that. Maybe yeah, there's, there's a, like, maybe there's some, yeah. in there. <laughs> maybe, I mean, there's like, I think there's like one more thing in phase five that they haven't revealed yet. And like, there were like two or three more things in phase six. And like, I think it's obvious that one of those is armor wars. They just haven't said which one yet. Um, but yeah, like you, you never know. Um, there could be something that's mutant related. Like they're starting to, they gave us the, the little mutation hint. We had, yeah. And Xavier in, in a movie, uh, the, the thing that you mentioned from She-Hulk that is mostly oh. probably Wolverine, you know, like we're getting little, little hints and stuff. And, and, and then Miss Marvel has mutated genes, but they didn't yeah. really say mutant, you know. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Mutation, you know, we get the mutation. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> keyword, buzzword kind of thing. The, the possible Wolverine reference actual Charles Xavier, you know, doing telepathic stuff. So they've, they've done a few things. I think I read somewhere or heard somewhere that like when Disney acquired Fox, all of the contracts that they had stayed in place and like all the X-Men contracts run through like 2024 or 2025, something like that. So if those characters were to be shown again it would have to be those actors so it's like if they bring in cyclops it has to be ty sheridan if they bring in gene gray it has to be sophie turn like that sort of thing i don't know if that's true i haven't had i haven't seen any kind of like official confirmation and i doubt that we would because you know it's contractual it's contract stuff between the studio and the actors, like that's not really something that they generally talk about. So I, so I doubt we'll ever actually get like an official confirmation, but I did hear something along those lines where it's like, they can't really, they probably can't do the X-Men, at least not any of the characters that we've seen lately. So it's like, what are they going to do? They're going to do an X-Men movie. That's like long shot and dazzler, you you know, we haven't seen Gambit Gambit would be, no, Gambit would be rad. No, we we had Gambit in X Men Origins Wolverine. That doesn't count. <laughs> and then there was supposed there was supposed to be the Channing Tatum Gambit project that like they kept getting a, they would get a director and then the director would quit and then they would push it out six months and then they would get another director and then push it out another six months and then that director would quit. So we yeah. kept getting all this stuff and like it just it doesn't seem like it's ever going to get made. And you know what? That's fine. Right. <laughs> But, like, there are X-Men characters that they can explore, you know? Like, I doubt that the the contract for, like, Juggernaut is Vinnie Jones, you know? So maybe they could do, like, a Juggernaut and Xavier movie with James McAvoy. Like, I, you know, but, like, maybe they don't want to bring any – maybe they, they don't want to bring any of those characters in. But, I mean, you know, they could do whatever. I don't know if, like, Omar Sy that was Bishop or, or something – but, you know, whatever. Like, I I would imagine that those contracts are for, like, the most recent grouping of movies, not right. the original three. So, like, they could probably recast Kitty Pride. I, I think it was on a podcast a few weeks ago, and I don't remember if it was part of the conversation I had with my guest host that didn't – that wasn't part of the show. But I was saying, like, why not do – like, since we don't really have a place for mutants in the current storyline – 
Like in the stuff that's happening right now, we don't have a place for the X-Men. So why not do an X-Men movie that takes place 40 years in the future? And it's like, it, it doesn't have to be days of future past, but set a movie in the future where sometime in the past, mutants exploded onto the scene and eventually the whole world devolved into like a civil war between mutants and humans. And this is the, this is the aftermath, you know? Yeah. And so that way you can have like an older Colossus and an older kitty and you can have like Rachel Summers in there and uh, Franklin Richards. Like you can have those characters. You don't necessarily need to have Wolverine, uh, have like have Laura or something in there. I, don't, I I doubt that the the contract through 2025 would have Daphne. Like, oh, if well, if you're gonna do X23, it's got to be Daphne Keen. Like that doesn't sound like that would how that contract would have worked. So maybe if they're having like an older woman, it could like an old older character that's mentoring Kitty. It could be Laura, you know, like an older version of Laura who's who's fought against either the Sentinels or like. Ahab and the Hound program, something like that. We'll see. <laughs> and that's what they can use to kind of set the stage because now there are stakes. Like, depending on what they do with Xavier and Magneto, we know that something bad does happen, that there is a, that a civil war does get sparked and stuff. And so there's like, there's reason for the X Men to be doing what they're doing. Um, and then there's, a, you know, that added dramatic irony that, like, we, the audience, know, like, 30, 40 years from now, the whole world's, like, in chaos. It's being controlled by sentinels or something like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, that, so yeah, that would be that, that would be how I would do it. Instead of trying to figure out how to fit them into the, the story of today or or using some gimmick of, like, oh, it's multiverse, but now all the multiverses have been pushed into one. And so the X-Men are here. Like, instead of doing something clunky and, and like that, like, you let them exist on their own until the present day catches up to when we're ready to have the X-Men. Yeah, we'll see what they do. Hopefully it's a good story, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because I still just, I don't see, it just doesn't make any sense to me right now that the, uh, that the world who like goes to Avengers con and, and idolizes superheroes would hate mutants. Right. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. It just seems, it, it seems weird. It seems weird. Like when, when the, when the X-Men exist in a vacuum, you can add, you can build that in. You can explain why, uh, in a world where the Avengers and the young Avengers and the, you know, the, the new Avengers, when in a world like where everyone idolizes Iron Man and Captain America and Spider-Man and stuff, like it just doesn't make any sense that, oh, we love all those guys, but like Cyclops, the dude that shoots the red thing out of his eyes. No, we don't like him. We don't trust him. Why? Eh, he's a mutant. We don't like mutants. Like that's not good enough anymore. Not so, in this, not in this world. Right. Well, we'll see where we are in. What is it? Phase six? Phase six, yeah. We'll see where we are then. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm, no. I'm sure Kane's going to, you know, wreak havoc on everything. Yeah. No, he he will. I'm like, I'm, again, like, 
it's we're in the multiversal saga or the multiverse saga. So it's like we know there's a universe out there where mutants exist because Xavier is part of the Illuminati and the Inhumans and the Inhuman and the Inhumans exist somewhere, too, in the same universe. You know, like. So right. Yeah. Submariner. Technically, technically, yes, he is a mutant. And in the comic books, you know, he kind of serves as like canonically the first mutant obviously the existence of like and sabanur five thousand years ago it's like okay well technically he's he's the the first one okay. um, and, and he's or he's the oldest mutant you know but namor is like you know the first mutant he was like one of marvel's first characters period um and then and yeah he he uh technically he's a mutant i think at some point they established i know that like in the early 2010s during the whole um, like Nation X and Utopia thing where after Messiah Complex, the mutants lived on an island off of like San Francisco and it was their own sovereign mutant nation kind of deal. Um, at one point during that whole thing, like Namor was on the team. Well, maybe they'll be because, I mean, he's in he's in um, Black Panther. Right. Yeah. Right. So maybe they're just going to sprinkle in a few things and then explain how they're here. I mean, but I get what you're saying. If if our heroes, these superhuman people are um, people look up to them and love them, then why would they hate X-Men? So we'll see how they bring it all in. But they are sprinkling mutants throughout here and there. Yeah. On Earth Earth 6 is on our earth that we're familiar with and in the MCU. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Starting to pepper some stuff in and, and and give some hints. So, so yeah. Um, yeah. Hopefully they, they kind of flat out say that Namor is a mutant, um, and that mutants have existed. And like, the good thing is like Namor, he's not like 15, you know, (laughs) he's like 30 years old or 40 years old or something like mid thirties, maybe, or maybe late 20. I have no idea, but he's not 15. So if he's like one of the first mutants, then, and he's at least like 30 or 40 years old, then we can be like, all right, cool. We can go back and as far as the nineties and be like, Hey, mutants started showing up in the 1990s, at least, you know, we, we at least have that established, but yeah, no, I, I have no idea how old Namor is supposed to be. I just assume, like he's a big dude, so I just assumed he was like 30s. But for all I know, that actor is like 27 years old. You know, like I have no idea. <laughs> and I don't know how how that character ages. I mean, he could be a lot older than he looks. I, who knows? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Like he he uh, because he's they're not Atlanteans anymore. They're they're a little different. Uh, I forget what they're calling them. Tulacans, I think, which is like it plays off of, I believe, Aztec mythology. Okay. Uh, which is like why they that's why they they look the way they do and like why it was being filmed in Mexico and stuff is, you know, they were because they were throwing that stuff in there, which I which is fine. Like it, the fact that they were called Atlanteans in the comic, like it doesn't really matter to me what they are like. They're from a fictional fake underwater society so you can call them what you want like you want to update it and, and kind of tie it to some like real world stuff to yeah, to kind of make it cool like that's yeah. fine i have yeah. no problem with that uh and it does like it, it makes it slightly different because you know uh aquaman is still atlantean in the dc universe so we don't really need two atlanteans like no let him, there's no reason that namor can't be his own thing and it seems like that's what they're doing so that's cool 
Yeah. And I forgot where I was going with that. Oh, right. Yeah. Like they're this underwater society. For all we know, they age very slowly, you know, like turtles live a long time. I think whales right. live a, for a very long time as well. You know, decades, centuries, maybe. I don't know. Um, there's no reason why this group of, you know, this, this humanoid species that lives under the water can't live for hundreds of years. Like obviously they're, they have ties to like Aztec mythology. So That's I guess true. that means like the Aztecs saw them at some point and like worshiped them as, as gods of some sort. So like that goes back hundreds of years as well. So it's, it's a society that's been around for hundreds of years. Namor could very well be a hundred years old, 150 years old. I am, inter- I am um, looking forward to that movie. So, but anyway, I know that's not the point. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> but, fine. <laughs> um, I, I am from one of the more closer things on the Marvel timeline. I am looking forward to black Panther too and seeing um, his story. So, yeah. Yeah. I've ne- like, I've never really liked Namor as a character, never really cared about Namor. Um, I think he looks cool in the trailers. Black Panther 2, not really one that I'm super excited about. I think like the next project I'm looking forward to is Secret Invasion. Like after seeing the trailer, looking forward to that. And then I like trailer. Blade, you know, yep. which is yeah. like November of next year. So I am excited. Uh, I mean, I love yeah. Blade. So yeah. Yeah. And the actor, man, is like, is fantastic. Like he was great as Cottonmouth. Um, and I know that he, he went on to do some like Academy Award worthy stuff as yeah. well. So like, awesome. Like I'll watch that dude as Blade. Like I loved him as Cottonmouth. I was, I was so mad when, uh, well, I don't, like, is it really a spoiler for a, a show that was on five years ago? Probably no. not. But like, <laughs> I was so mad when they like unexpectedly killed him off. I was like, what? No, he was so cool. Like I loved him as a villain. He was so great. Uh, and then like to replace him with Diamondback is like the main bad guy for the end of season one. It was like, what are you doing? No. Oh, well. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. So this, this is probably going to be a fairly short episode. I know that we didn't prepare like a top five or anything. We were just kind of getting together to shoot the breeze. Yeah. Um, before we get into our episode breakdown, though, let's talk a little bit about X-Men three and dark Phoenix. I assume that you've seen both of those movies. Um, yes. Okay. It's been a while, but, um, with, with the, um, the original actress. Yeah. Yeah. So X three with, um, Famke Jansen. Yeah. And then the, the more recent dark Phoenix movie, the, the, like the last X-Men movie that they did. Did you see that one? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So Dark Phoenix, I feel, is one of those storylines that has the potential to stand alone as a as a story and can be told in a single movie. But it does work better when it's built towards like, do you agree with that statement that like. Dark Phoenix works better if you build towards it rather than just well, yes. doing it. Yes, yeah. I feel like there's it's like different stages of how she becomes Dark Phoenix. You know what I mean? So it's it's very important. The build up to understand that character is very important. Yeah. So so the way that the reason why I'm bringing this up is because 
you and I are, are going to be breaking down the third episode of the Dark Phoenix saga. So the third, three of, of four. There's four episodes in this saga. Today we're doing the third one. And I was kind of realizing if you watch the Phoenix saga, the five episodes of the Phoenix saga, they tell like a very, it's a, it's a very open and shut storyline. And then we have four or five episodes in between the Phoenix saga and the Dark Phoenix saga where we don't focus on Gene at all. We don't see Gene like slowly losing control of her powers the way we did in, in the comic books. In the comic books, we had the Dark Phoenix saga in like 1982. And I think the, the, the Phoenix saga, the Shi'ar saga, that was being done in like maybe 1979 or 1980. So it was a couple of years in between the storyline. Although in those few years, the Jean losing control of her powers was, is like, is, is exaggerated. It's overblown. It doesn't really happen. The first time we really see Jean start to be affected by the Phoenix powers and start to be controlled, not controlled, but like manipulated by Jason Wingard is like right at the beginning of the Proteus saga, which is the three issues that takes place right before Dark Phoenix starts. So this idea that like Jean becomes the Phoenix and then every issue for three years, she is like slowly becoming more and more uncontrollably powerful. That's not really the case. Like those, those, those maybe 10, 15 issues in between the end of the, well, so the Phoenix Saga technically ends with like issue 109. Dark Phoenix Saga starts with issue 129. So there's about 20 issues in between. And Gene only shows up briefly in like seven or eight of those 20 issues. So it's not this like huge drawn out story. People tend to say like, I want to see three movies of Dark, of Phoenix before we get to Dark Phoenix so that we can see this proper buildup. But like there is no proper buildup is that this is the point that I'm trying to make. And the reason why I ask you, like, do you think they could do a dark Phoenix movie without all of the Phoenix buildup? I ask that because if you don't see the Phoenix saga, if you don't watch those five episodes, you just come in and watch these four dark Phoenix episodes, you know exactly what's happening and you get all the story. You don't need all of that other stuff. Do you think at some point someone could make a Dark Phoenix movie without all of the Phoenix stuff and still be able to tell this story? I mean, you could. It's just I think Jean Grey would be kind of lost because I feel like it would be she would be a villain. I mean, at least perceived yeah. as a villain for a majority of the story. So you could tell that and it could be a good movie and it would be entertaining and you would get the you would get the you would understand who Dark Phoenix is, I think, and the the capabilities, but um you wouldn't really get who I don't know. I mean I, I get maybe it depends it boils down to what kind of person you are and what kind of story you like. Like I wanna know um who is this person? Who how did they get to this point? But to answer your question, yeah, they could make that movie. You don't need all the the backstory, but you do lose something in my opinion of completely understanding that character and the maybe the how 
the things that Dark Phoenix does, um, what that means for the universe and other characters in that story, um, to really understand that, if you care to, you would need the Phoenix story. You would need to know who Jean Grey was. But just to tell a, a story of just Dark Phoenix, like a with a villain or something, you could do that. Does that make sense? I'm not yes. <laughs> no, that no. I think you're you're right on. Like, there's a reason because they've done Dark Phoenix twice now. We we had a Dark Phoenix story in X three, and we had a Dark Phoenix movie that was just Dark Phoenix, and they're both pretty bad. Like, critically yeah. speaking, they're not necessarily good movies. Like, I I like them. I like them both. Um. But I think, like, if you were to look at it through a, through a critical lens and actually critique the story that's being told and the character arcs that, that develop over the course of those movies, then I do agree that those are, like, they're critically, they're bad movies. But I, the, one of the reasons why I was asking you is because in X3, the Dark Phoenix saga portion of that movie, it did have buildup. In the first X-Men movie, Jean is telekinetic. She mentions that she has some telepathic ability that Xavier is helping her develop. Later on in the movie, there's a scene where she's, uh, Wolverine asks her why she doesn't use Cerebro. And she mentions that for someone like her, uh, and then of course Cyclops, Dingleberry that he is in the movies, steps in and he's like, it's dangerous. Because the reason is that Jean doesn't have the, the telepathic control to handle the strain of Cerebro yet. In At the end of the first X-Men movie, she uses both her telekinesis and her tele well, mostly her telekinesis, uh, to like to help, you know, steady Wolverine and they, they save the day. At the beginning of X2, which is, you know, a year later or six months later, however long it is, she's already being developed as her telepathic powers are, they're starting to develop faster than she can control, right? Like we, they, they add that into the story. One of the very first scenes with Jean Grey in X2 is at the museum for the field trip and like her, she, she's, She's not being able to block out the voices of all the people at the museum. So they they build that into X2. And by the end of the movie, she sacrifices herself to save the rest of the X-Men, very similar to the way she sacrifices herself in the space shuttle. Yes. Right? So, yes. like, we've we've had the buildup. The the problem is, like, it's not a cosmic – there's nothing cosmic about the Dark Phoenix storyline that's told in the first three X-Men movies. And I think that's why people don't like it. But if you follow along with Jean's development and her arc, her becoming Dark Phoenix in X3, like, it, it fits for her storyline. Like, all of that stuff fits. It's just that it was, like, it was the B-plot – to a movie where it should have been the A plot, like tracking down Jean, trying to help her. And then she slowly loses control and becomes the dark Phoenix by the beginning of the third act. And then the X-Men have to stop her 
if that was the main plot, I think it would have been really good with like the cure being a background story. Instead, what happened is like the cure was the main story and it was like, oh, by the way, Jean's back and now she's like, she wants to experience all these things and apparently that makes her bad. Like that, it was the execution of it was dumb. And so people were like, I need three movies building up to Dark Phoenix. It was like, we had three movies building up to Dark Phoenix. Her arc was actually for a non cosmic version of Phoenix and Dark Phoenix. Like those first three movies actually told a coherent arc from start to finish. It was just, it was a tragic end and like, you know, just like it was originally in the comics. Like at the end of the Dark Phoenix saga in the comics, Gene dies, or at least the Phoenix dies as Gene. But is like for years, it was Gene's dead. Gene died because she became the Dark Phoenix and then had to sacrifice herself again to save her team. And that's what we saw in X X Men X Two and X Three. Right. At the same time, if you look at the Dark Phoenix movie, that one, it was a cosmic movie. And Jean gets the entity, this this cosmic entity, it, it goes inside of her at the very beginning of the movie. And then over the course of the movie, it's the same thing. She slowly loses control of of her powers because of this entity. And she goes bad, you know, and then at the end of the movie, she is able to get control of it. And then again, she sacrifices herself to, to save the day. And I think like it, if they would have added, if the movie would have been like 30 or 40 minutes longer and they added like a, a B plot or something to help move the storyline a little bit more forward to give the X-Men something else to do, early on, like after Jean becomes Phoenix, she immediately goes dark Phoenix. And that's the problem. Like they should have had her, they should have had like one, there should have been something else that they did in between like acts one and two. I think the reason why the dark Phoenix movie failed is because it was rushed. It was just, it was a to B to C to D to E to F end of the movie. And it was Jean like, Gene gets the entity. Gene doesn't like being told what to do. Gene kills Mystique. Gene becomes Dark Phoenix. It feels and, rushed. It feels yeah, rushed. It, like there's certain um, stages she needs to experience, and they're not developed enough. It's just rushing, just like what you said. So you're like, yeah. uh, okay, you know. I mean, there's so, it raises too many questions when they go too fast like that, and there's not time to develop the different stages that she goes through. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And they, they also rushed it because it was like, we need to do the cosmic entity thing. So then the bad guys are going to be aliens instead of like the inner circle slash hellfire club, which then kind of cheapens it as well. Um, and, and, and again, like it rushes it, it forward. It was, it was too quick. There wasn't a B plot to focus on to allow Gene, like you said, to go through the stages. It was, she gets the Phoenix, she gets angry, she becomes the Dark Phoenix, and that's it, you know? And the and then the movie's over. There's, like, the final battle, and it's done. There's yeah. And it's because it was rushed. But there's one other Dark Phoenix thing I want to talk about 
I don't think that we're going to come to any kind of a consensus. You know, the consensus is it would be better if they build towards Dark Phoenix, but they can do Dark Phoenix if they do it right, which obviously they they haven't done either of those. Right. The build towards it, they failed at that, and the standalone, they failed at that too. Um, but there was one other Dark Phoenix storyline that I actually I hated when it first came out, and over the years I've actually begun to really appreciate what was trying to be done. And that is the five or six issue arc of ultimate X-Men called Hellfire and Brimstone. Okay. So this arc happens right after the, the ultimate Proteus storyline, just like in the regular comics, Dark Phoenix was immediately after Proteus. In this case, we have the Hellfire and Brimstone is like right after the the Proteus arc, which was called like World Tour, I think, in in the comics, in, in the Ultimate X Men comics. So in this storyline, in in Ultimate X Men, Jean is already as a teenager, she's already an established and powerful telepath as well as telekinetic. Like she's already at the top of her game when she's introduced in X Men Ultimate X Men One. Xavier has already trained her to be, uh, you know, a, a fantastic telepath as well as a fantastic telekinetic. But at some point during the Proteus arc, Jean has to strain her telepathy in a way that she's never done before. I think it's, it starts, actually, it starts with the end of the Weapon X saga, which was the second arc of Ultimate X-Men. Because at the end of that storyline, Jean is like she's forced to kill someone with her telepathy during that storyline. And that like really messes her up and she doesn't have like there's no time for her to deal with her PTSD from that moment on. And she puts this telepathic strain on herself during Proteus that her psyche begins to break. And so at the beginning of the Hellfire and Brimstone arc, instead of the Phoenix being a cosmic entity, it's very similar to how it is in the the first three X-Men movies where it's it's like the the unfocused potential that Jean has, you know, the 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 her the full breadth of her power that she can never unleash. But the way that it manifests itself in her mind, and this is why I think it's really cool, it starts manifesting in her mind as these weird little, like, demonic-looking creatures that are, like, following her around. And it starts to build towards, not only build towards Dark Phoenix, but it also foreshadows the Goblin Queen. Okay. And that's why I think it's cool because like we're never going to see the Goblin Queen I know. In, in live action. Like it's never going to happen. I I and, and I'm hope I hope that like by saying that I'm like anti-jinxing it and that it will happen, you know? But like we're never going to get the Goblin Queen. And it was this really interesting way to show that like especially cuz like Ultimate Xavier is like really is a bad dude. Who has like 
good intentions. He has good intentions, but he does all these ex- like extremely questionably bad things. And one of them, of course, is like shutting out a whole part of this young girl's mind because he's afraid of her power and he's he's fragile in his own um you know, masculine power, right? He sees this, this potential and he's like, Oh, I got to shut it down because I'll never be able to control her if she gets too powerful. So it creates this, like this evil persona in her mind. And it's not necessarily evil. It's just, it's a, it's a persona that resents that it's been locked away and it manifests itself as like the goblin queen. And as Jean starts unleashing this, this power of her psyche, she like becomes the goblin queen pretty much is what happens where she starts manifesting like her telepathic powers as like, if she's doing telepathic things or telekinetic things to people, the people are seeing like these little demon creatures, even though it's just genes, telekinesis and telepathic abilities. But eventually what happens is she starts to unleash her full power and the Hellfire Club in the Ultimate Universe, which is actually a cult, uh, who who worships this like this creature that they call the Phoenix. And it turns out it's not actually the Phoenix, it's the Goblin Queen that they worship. And so they like they pull Jean Grey in and they like help her unleash her powers and stuff. And like with their own powers, they're able to like amplify hers. It was sadly, it was like a fairly anticlimactic ending of like the Hellfire Club and stuff. Basically, the what she does to Jason Wingard in the normal comics is what she does to the entire Hellfire Club in the Ultimate comics. And then she like shuts down and she's like, I'm just Jean Grey. Like I, I'm actually in full control now. There's no more Phoenix. There's no more Goblin Queen. It's just me. It's Jean. And I've had enough of Xavier and his manipulation. Uh, but it was, but it was a really interesting way to do the Dark Phoenix without tying it to a, a cosmic entity. But it it has the thing where it's like Jean is starting to break down and lose control of her psyche. And because of that, instead of it being the Phoenix, it's like it's the Goblin Queen. I thought that was a really interesting way to tackle the Dark Phoenix and also Inferno. Like that was that was really interesting. And it kind of got me thinking, like, there are a lot of different ways that someone can do a Dark Phoenix storyline without it having to be this big cosmic thing or needing all of this buildup. And still hitting like all the important aspects and also giving Jean the agency that she deserves in a Dark Phoenix storyline. Like when Jean's not the focus of the story, it completely fails. Yeah, I mean, um, it's an interesting way to, to tell the story because she is so powerful when someone that powerful is um, losing control. Um, and obviously a lot of people can understand, um, uh, emotional issues or mental issues. Um, I think it, it makes it a more, a little bit more, um, understanding and believable as you're watching it. Um, and I agree giving her the agency that she deserves because she's not weak and she can, she can pull herself out of it, if that makes sense. So, yeah. um, it, it's pretty cool. 
And then she doesn't have to die because <laughs> I love her character. Yeah. Yes. And she, and she does it in a way where, you know, ultimate or yeah, ultimate Jean didn't have to die at the end of, of dark Phoenix. I mean, just imagine someone that powerful and you find out that part of your mind has been subdued in some way by somebody else. That's infuriating. <laughs> yeah. And, and then she's having PTSD because she has to do something that is morally crushing her. Uh, yeah, that's a good story. They should do that one. It's, that was awesome. It's been years since I've read that, and I feel like I should go back because I'm probably messing up a few of the details. Like, I, I guarantee that I messed up a, a couple of the things there. But that, like, that was the one that, like I said, like, I really didn't like it when it first came out and I read it because I was like, oh, man, where's the cosmic stuff? This is lame. <laughs> but, like, going back and seeing two other attempts to do Dark Phoenix in in live action and utterly failing both times, despite actually having like good ideas, it it, it makes me think of that story and and like I I know I've reread it a couple of times and like each time I'm like oh yeah I actually really like this like this is a really great way to do this story, um and like check off all the boxes without having to be bogged down by cosmic stuff or whatever, you know? Um, And and so I, I I grow to appreciate it a lot more and like they could definitely use that as a basis for another live action, dark Phoenix storyline at some point in the future. And it also brings in like the, the goblin queen and Inferno. And of course, like, you know, we've already seen Limbo exists thanks to to magic in, in New Mutants. And obviously that's that wouldn't be canon or anything. But still, like, there's no reason why they they couldn't ever do Goblin Queen. Like, that would be really interesting. That could also they could do the Dark Phoenix and that could lead to uh, a Goblin Queen storyline at some point in the future as well. But either way, personally, I don't care if they ever do Dark Phoenix again, just because right. they've they've failed twice at it now. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting, though, like if they made a film of that, it would have worked better in like the 80s. <laughs> like there'd be more people open to watching it and making that film with, oh, those, yeah. of, with those kind of themes as opposed yeah. to. I don't know. It's ridiculous. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, um, think about some of the stuff we watched as kids. It's pretty dark, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, like <laughs> ghoulies and stuff. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, like Fright Night and, like, The Lost Boys and stuff. Like, you look at those movies compared to, like, vampire stuff today, and you're like... Twilight? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. How they sparkle oh, in the sun, and as opposed to you know Lost Boys, which is awesome, by the way. Oh yeah, I love the Lost Boys. It's so good. There was a series they did a while back um, that I heard wasn't good, and then they like are rebooting it as well. Oh, are they? Um, for the but it's like they're rebooting it for the CW and. Well, I read the book, yeah. and the way that the book ends, you know, at the end of the movie, there's that cave where they. Or well, not the cave. Wherever they lived, and they had to kill all the bad guys. Uh-huh. In the book, there's a cave where they would stay. I think they show it in the movie, but it right, goes yeah. further. It goes further down into the earth. And the way the book ends is like, oh, what? There's more of them, you know. Anyway, sorry, that has oh. nothing to do with dark. Oh no. <laughs> no, that's fine. <laughs> I'm always down to talk Lost Boys. I love that movie. It's all your fault too. 
I lo- yeah, I mean, I love the two Corys. I had their pictures all over my walls, but the movie is awesome. And of course, it was filmed in Santa Cruz, which we would go to quite often enough. So that oh yeah, it was all the like, time, yeah. Place some of the places where they filmed. You're like, oh, I've been there. <laughs> I've been on that. Well, yeah, them. like all the all the boardwalk stuff. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're the boardwalk all the time, and it's like, yep, I've probably stood in that exact same place. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I think in the in the movie it's what Santa Carla I think instead of Santa yeah. Cruz yeah yeah <laughs> or, yeah exactly yeah but yeah it's pretty good um, man yeah all right well I think that is pretty much it um, we could probably get into our episode breakdown now <laughs> I'm not really sure where I was trying to go with all the Dark Phoenix stuff I just figured like the one thing so far that I've noticed about the dark Phoenix saga in X-Men, the animated series is like everything that they've done so far, like they've almost directly adapted the, the, the uh, comics, like everything that we've seen in the cartoon has come almost directly from the comics. I mean, obviously rogue and Gambit were part of the X-Men yet. Uh, It was nightcrawler and Colossus instead, but like otherwise it's all, pretty much the same like with Jason like they even had Dazzler and like the Jason Wingard stuff where he was like using you know trying to to do the like colonial style uh like illusions in Gene's mind all of that stuff directly from the comics same thing with last episode that I covered uh with my friend Kurt uh like almost I feel like the issue 133 and 134 was they just took those two comics they use those as the storyboards and then they made a 20 minute episode out of 40 pages of comic and for today's episode that we're going to break down it's like the same thing they took 135 and uh and, and like this is they took 135 and that was the storyboard for this episode and then obviously next episode is like issue 136 and 137 um, but like either way, like they've, it's like, it's the most faithful adaptation. And yet I feel like it still would work. You cannot see the Phoenix saga come in for the dark Phoenix saga and it works like it, it works. Um, but either way that, so that, I think that's where I was going. Cause it was like, well, do we, does, do we really have to have like a, a comic, you know, a page to screen, adaptation and i don't think that we do but at the same time like obviously this is the best adaptation of dark phoenix we've ever had and i think the reason is because it's just it's just the comic brought to life on screen as a cartoon and and it carries into today's episode as well i think so i mean they understood that the fans of the comics would be watching the show so yeah stay true to the story that people liked so Nice. So I think then with that, Ariana, we can jump into our episode breakdown if you're all set. Okay. All right, bub. For today's episode, we are breaking down X-Men, the animated series, season three, episode 16, the Dark Phoenix Saga, part three, the Dark Phoenix. So we're on the eponymous Dark Phoenix Saga episode. This episode written by Larry Parr and it originally aired November 19th, 
1994. So, Ariana, with you being the special guest, you kind of know the drill. Why don't you walk us through our opening scene of this episode? It takes place on top of the building. And dark. what I remember is Dark Phoenix talking about, um, she's talking about power. Mm-hmm. And she says the power to create and destroy is greater than good and evil. And she's just kind of seems to be talking to them, um, particularly Cyclops, if I remember, about um, just how good it feels to be in power in, in, in Jean's body and able to do whatever it wants. That's how I took it. Yeah, which a, a woman who is in control of her feelings, uh, that's got to be a scary thing to, to all these dudes, right? They're like, oh, no. <laughs> she she must be evil now if she's thinking for herself this time. <laughs> no, I, I think at one point she does mention too that like she's not going to go back to space um or like or give up the body because yeah, like you said that's it's she's she's experiencing this this power, this this thing that she hasn't really experienced through like a you know, a mortal lens, you know, not something that the phoenix as an entity has ever really gotten to experience and like she doesn't want to give up that experience like at at the to to Jean's detriment if it if, you know if that happens um and then yeah she she just like knocks them all off the roof at that point <laughs> just kind of like throws up a phoenix talon and she's just like you know be gone i mean i think there's um i mean he scott keeps trying to talk to Jean, and dark phoenix is telling him oh no she's gone you can't talk to her but every time he does Jean does try and respond but she doesn't seem to be in control yeah, no, I've noticed that too. Like that comes up multiple times in this episode because we get a, a few different showdowns between the X-Men and the Dark Phoenix and almost every time at the end of of the, you know, the the battle, it's what brings it to a close or or what they're almost able to like defeat the Phoenix or at least calm the Phoenix down is when Scott tries to appeal directly to Gene. And I think their their psychic rapport, their love for one another is like it's strong enough that he's able to get through, at, you know, albeit temporarily, but he's able to yeah. at least get through the the Phoenix's control over Gene. Uh, and, yeah, we, we definitely see that here after he, after the Phoenix knocks all the X-Men off the roof. Beast kind of comes in and, and like reiterates what the Phoenix is saying, uh, where like the reason why the Phoenix has gone, you know, quote unquote dark at this point uh, with the the fact that she's finally able to experience these, these various sensations and stuff. Uh, and then of course the Phoenix just like shows up and, and they just have a fight instead. And that's the point where storm is summoning like hurricane winds and trying to like blow the Phoenix down. And the Phoenix just shrugs it off. Scott tries to like hit her with an optic blast, I think to kind of knock her out. Um, after the hurricane doesn't work, Storm tries lightning, and, and that also fails. Uh, I think Rogue at some point, like I think this is where she grabs the tree. That might be later, uh, yeah. but I, but I think Rogue like pulls a tree up and like tries to hit her with it, and the Dark Phoenix just like transubstantiates it into gold or, or something super heavy, and like even Rogue can't hold it anymore. She like plummets back down to the ground holding on to the this like gold tree which also falls on Wolverine to to kind of get him out of the way cuz i mean he's not a ranged attacker like there's not really much that he's going to do right uh, and yeah like even and i think rogue is able to get out from under the tree and she like reengages the phoenix in the attempt to like siphon off 
some of the power and like it, d- it doesn't phase the the dark phoenix at all but pretty much she's she's like why are you even bothering why are you doing this it's not you can't win <laughs> you're yeah. wasting your time <laughs> yeah she's she's almost like apocalypse at this point where it's like she's so far she is as far beyond them as they are above regular humans you know like a, a regular human wouldn't be able to to hold a candle to the power that Cyclops or Storm can unleash, it's the same way. Like, neither Cyclops or Storm or, or Rogue, uh, Gambit, none of them can even uh, hold a candle to the power that is the Phoenix at this point. Was and then this is that? where... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I don't remember if Beast was at that fight. Yeah, I, unlike Wolverine, who, like, at least tries to run in and do something and gets clobbered by the tree... I don't even think Beast tries to do anything. Like, I think he just stands there and, and just watches it all play out because he knows that, like, there's nothing that he can do. What's he going to do? Like, jump up there and, quote, philosophy to her? Like, that's not <laughs> like it's not going to do anything. Right. But, yeah, like, at, at the end of this battle, this and it's really quick, too. Like, I'm describing all these things, and it happens, like, in the course of, like, 30 seconds. Like, it's real quick where the Phoenix just completely outclasses the entire X-Men combined. Um, and at this point is where, like you'd mentioned, where Cyclops comes in and he's trying to explain to the Phoenix and also reach Gene by saying, like, we're, we're trying to stop you because we love you. Like, and I love you. You know, you're, you're the, the woman I love is in there. And like, I, we all love you and we just want what's best for you. You don't have to fight us. We don't have to fight you. Like we just want Gene and and that's it. Right. And Dark Phoenix doesn't know what love is, so she doesn't know yeah. what that is. <laughs> yeah, like she's feeling all these sensations for the first time. And of course, like love is not something that she's going to know. I mean, there are adults that are in, in serious relationships that can't really quantify what love is. I mean, I, I don't think anyone has ever really had a solid explanation of of exactly what it is. Right. I mean, that's what Scott's saying though, is because of that, that's why they're fighting, even though it seems pointless because they can't win. And to her, that's like, makes no sense (laughs) whatsoever. (laughs) And and she's so perplexed by the idea. She just flies off into space. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, well, I don't have time for this. I'm going to go, I'll be back. uh, But I'm just going (laughs) to, I'm just going to duck out real quick. Uh, and she does, she like, she phoenixes up and flies off into space and the, the power surge of her doing that. Uh, I like this scene cause we get all these like cool, um, like cameos, like 10 seconds worth of cameos. Uh, but we see like Dr. Strange is reading in his library and he kind of senses it and, and, you know, stops reading for a quick second. Uh, we see Thor, I think on like the roof of a building in New York. Uh, we cut to the Watcher, who I'm not sure if we've seen in the X-Men yet, maybe as a cameo during, like, the Phoenix saga. Because uh, I know that we got some cameos then when Gene, like, went full Phoenix. as well. There was, like, a Spider-Man uh, cameo, and there were a couple. I think Doctor Strange was a cameo in that as well. Um, but we get the Watcher, and then as Gene is flying through space, like, we see her past Jupiter and Saturn. And then we get like even another cameo of eternity, which is really cool. Um, you know, considering that eternity recently appeared in uh, Thor: Love and Thunder, 
So that was right. that was cool seeing Eternity. And then, yeah, so as Jean's flying through, or I guess the Dark Phoenix, as she's flying through space, she, like, opens up a wormhole and travels to, like, deep space and actually ends up inside of Shi'ar space. So do you want to, yeah, do you want to break this one down? So she, they, the, the guys on the ship, I don't know their names, see her, they're watching her, they call her a creature, um, and they watch it, the creature fly right into a sun. Um, and, you know, astonished that she's living through it and she's actually feeding, I think is the word they use. And, and so doing destroys an entire solar system and they just kind of watch cause what are they going to do? Right. Um, and then, uh, I think they try and pursue her, don't they? I, I mean, I, I think that's what they were doing. They want to know if they should pursue her. So they reach out to the emperor or the empress. Yeah, they reach out to Lalandra, um, and I, I think she's, she tells them like, don't, or like, not yet, or like, keep your distance, or something like that. But I do like that, uh, we have this like establishing sequence where the Dark Phoenix arrives in the Shi'ar space, and we see the people on the Shi'ar ship, and they're like, well, this is the Dabari system, but it's completely devoid of life. <laughs> Because in the comic series, she, when, when the Dark Phoenix flies off into space and consumes that star, she actually destroys the Dabari system in the comic books. But in the comic storyline, it's a, it's a star system that has like seven billion right. inhabitants. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like in the comic, the Dark Phoenix kills like seven billion People, which is as many people as there are on Earth, like that's just completely gonna... wipes that out. Yeah, exactly. That, that's what I, that's what I was just gonna say. It's like <laughs> that's uh, it's major stuff. So I didn't catch that though in the in the show that the, it was not inhabited. I don't know why I missed that. Yeah, I think they threw that in there because they're like, we can't have Gene or the Phoenix. You know, even if the Phoenix is bad, we can't really have her wipe out billions of people. So there's like a quick little line where the dude's like, we're in the uninhabited Dabari system. And then after she destroys the sun, he's like, there's another like one little throwaway line where he's like, it's a good thing it was uninhabited. Otherwise, she could have wiped out billions of lives. (laughs) So they're like, it's a kid's cartoon. Quick, throw out that like it was an empty planet and and that's it. (laughs) You know, but like how much bacteria and stuff did she destroy? There's got to be, you know, there there might not be sentient species, but I'm like yeah. something, you know. Yeah. She was, either way, she violated the prime directive, right? Like the Federation would not be happy. I don't think Dark Phoenix cares, you know, if she knows the things, <laughs> she doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like you were saying that the, the Shi'ar people do reach out to uh, Lalandra, and I, I think she tells them not to pursue, but then she does immediately call in the Imperial Guard because she's like, hey, this doesn't bode well. You know, like our last adventure with the Phoenix ended happily for us, you know, not necessarily for Cyclops and the rest of the X-Men. Um, like, but this does not bode well if the Phoenix is back and it's destroying planets like, uh oh, something bad is going on. And, and she she calls to Gladiator and like tells him to like you know assemble the Imperial Guard. 
Yeah, get prepared because only bad things can happen is, I think, her point of view. Like, yeah. it could easily been a, a system where there was billions of, you know, living beings. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like, we don't know if she's going around destroying star systems indiscriminately. Like, is is this a one-time thing? Did she just get lucky? Did she specifically choose this one because she knew there was no life like they don't have time to ponder those questions like right. they have to uh mobilize immediately because a threat of a being that can just fly into a sun and eat it and destroy the entire you know an entire solar system like yeah that's that's a major threat like regardless of of what its intentions are like you can't just wait and figure it out like you have to be right. ready um, and of course, this scene will have ramifications in the episode later on. Right. Uh, but we do, I, th- I think at this point, we actually go back and we check in with the, the X-Men back on Earth. Yeah, um, it shows uh, Professor X um, trying to explain that Jean is gone. Um, really, the only way that she could come back possibly is if the Phoenix decides to leave her body. Um, and I'm not, I don't remember if they thought that that was a possibility even or what would happen to Jean if the Phoenix left her body at this point. But he was trying to convey to the X-Men that she's, that Jean is gone. Yeah. Which is pretty somber for a kid's cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> like it's Jean's body, but like there is no Jean left. Like at this point, it's literally just the dark Phoenix. That's the only, it looks like Jean, but it's, it's not her anymore. Jean is gone. Uh, and like as Xavier is giving him this really sad, uh, you know, like this really sad story, Cyclops senses that Jean's returned because his psychic rapport, like he knows that the Dark Phoenix has returned to the planet. And I think that is enough, right? Like that's enough where Xavier's like, oh, well, maybe I'm not entirely right. Because if the Dark Phoenix came back to Earth and Scott is able to sense through his rapport with Jean, Right. That the Phoenix has returned, that that means that he's wrong and that, and that there, there is some gene in there somewhere. And I think that is enough where Beast gets the idea for the, what did he call it? Um, the neural scrambler or neural descrambler, I think. Something like that. Yeah. And I love the scene where like the, the scene changes real quick and it shows Beast like on his computer, like working at the schematics and starting to like design uh, a neural scrambler or descrambler to use against the Dark Phoenix. And I don't know if you noticed, Ariana, but like uh, he has like a little sticky note or like not a sticky note, but like a little picture on his computer monitor. And it's a picture of Carly who was the blind woman whose sight he restored and like who he was in love with and who loved him from the beauty and the beast episode. I didn't notice it (laughs) (laughs) that I saw. I was like, Oh beast. That's so sweet. Like, yay. (laughs) I didn't, I missed that. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. I just, I saw that. That was like my favorite part of the whole sequence. It was like, Oh, there's a picture of Carly. Oh, (laughs) But I like that they figure that out, that if, like you say, that connection is still intact with Scott and Jean, then obviously they cannot defeat Phoenix physically. Um, maybe if they could reach through her mind to reach Jean, Jean can gain control. I mean, that that's kind of cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, I do like that. Uh, that was like one of the things that we talked about when we were discussing the various live action adaptations is like they kind of fail both times, obviously. Uh, but, but where they where they each fail is like they don't really give Jean the agency as a character that she's supposed to have throughout this storyline. Um, and this they're at least building that in. They're like, we can help. We can help Jean, but ultimately she's the one that's going to have to win the battle. Uh, and I do like that, that they that they at least put that focus on where they're like, we can help Jean take control back. But like, it's her like she's the one that has to win. Uh, I feel like they eventually in both of the live action adaptations, like Jean has, you know, a moment of clarity or a moment of conscience where she's in control. But that's not really the focus. That's just like a thing that happens in the course of the battle. That's not the general idea. I, I think. Yeah. Sorry. Stop the Phoenix. And it shows how yeah. strong. Uh, and, and yeah. Yeah. Sorry. It cut out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, it's all good. It's technology. It's, it happens. <laughs> it shows how strong Jean Grey actually is. Cause if the dark Phoenix or the Phoenix originally encountered another telepath, possibly that their consciousness would be gone completely. Whereas Jean is strong enough that she's still in there fighting and still has a connection with somebody else. So I think that shows her strength right there too. Agreed. And that's not something that we've really seen in the comics either. Like we've never really seen, uh, well, I mean, we, we have, but not really in this context, right? Like we've not seen many other characters in the X-Men universe or in the, in the Marvel universe as a whole who have been Phoenix hosts. Uh, obviously Rachel Summers, the daughter of Jean and Scott from like the days of future past timeline. She is like really the only one who's ever been able to like coexist as right. a Phoenix host. Every other time we've seen someone play host to the Phoenix they they haven't been able to contain it. They've ultimately been corrupted, just like the Dark Phoenix itself became corrupted. Uh, and yeah, I like that, uh, you know, that you point out that, yes, like their plan here is like, we just need to give Jean the spark to fight back because all she needs is a chance. And, and yeah, she's strong enough that she can do it. Right. I would be interested to see how another like fairly strong telepath, but not quite on Jean's level would, would fare. Like I, like I doubt that Betsy or Emma would be able to, would, would also be able to be good Phoenix hosts. I really don't see that happening. There, there was a storyline. I don't know if you've read it. It was the Avengers versus X-Men storyline where the Phoenix returns to earth and everyone ex ex assumes that it's coming to like, uh, become hosted by hope. Um, and the Avengers get involved. They mess everything up. The Phoenix force gets split into like five and it goes into Cyclops, um, Emma Frost, Ilyana, Colossus and Namor. And, um, like they slowly become corrupted and eventually they each get like taken out until Cyclops is the one that's got all of the Phoenix. And of course, like he's not a telepath, like there's nothing that he right. can do to control it. And, and, and it doesn't turn out well. 
I mean, maybe if they got um, Scarlet Witch, that'd be scary. If Nick's <laughs> found Scarlet Witch, that would be scary. I mean, I don't know. Emma Frost kind of is, is um, frightening to me, but I don't think she's as strong as Jean Grey. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, she wouldn't like to hear you say that. I know that for a fact. <laughs> I don't know. I just I know in the newer stuff she's with Scott and all this stuff. I didn't read any of that. I remember reading the beginning of it and I was like, oh, I hate this. So I didn't read the. Rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm still like I'm definitely a jot shipper. Like I I like Scott and Jean together. Like yeah. I love Wolverine, but I don't like Jean the the whole Jean and Logan thing. Yeah, I, I, I was never really a big fan of of Scott and Emma. Um, but yeah, I. Yeah, no, Scott and Jean for me, like that's that's the ship. Like, I ship Logan with Mariko. Um, yeah, that you know that's my preferred Logan partnership. Or Storm even was better than than Jean, but whatever. <laughs> well, All I right, so back. Oh no, go ahead. Uh, well, I was gonna say I don't understand when Dark Phoenix returns and Jean is kind of in control. Why is she so confused as to what the oh, time yeah. is? That yeah, I'm not really sure. Yeah. No, well, yeah, because I was just going to go into the fact that she goes, and so we we followed Dark Phoenix around, and and yeah, she returns to her childhood home. She's like walking around in her house where her parents live, and like she goes into her bed, her childhood bedroom, uh, from you know from from when she was a kid, obviously, and like she's got stuffies on her bed and everything. Like it's a typical like young girl's room, right? Uh, you know, because she came to the X Men when she was like a young teenager, like 15 or 16, probably somewhere close to that. Uh, I think I'm not sure what age they established. She was when she first came to Xavier's, but either way, like she has like a, you know, a, a young girl's room. And I do like that the stuffed animal that she grabs and like cuddles with while she's sitting on her bed is like a Cyclops, like obviously not, Oh, yeah, Scott, but like a mon, like a little cute monster cyclops. Yeah, <laughs> that was cute. I was like, oh, that's cool. She's had a thing for cyclopes, cy- cyclopes. I don't, know, I forget the plural. Uh, her whole life, apparently. But yeah, I'm not quite sure exactly why she seems to have like regressed in her timeline because she's like calling out like daddy, you know, and like that sort of thing. And when the car pull, when she senses the car pull up in the driveway, she's like running down the stairs, like daddy's home and stuff. So like, I don't know what, what that is supposed to signify is like the Phoenix is causing the, the gene that's left to regress or what they don't really kind of go into that. Uh, But either way, like it works for the X-Men because they're able to track gene down and uh, they they try to like engage her one more time to get the the neural scrambler on, right? And um, Gambit succeeds and getting it on her head at least. Um, but doesn't she notice him? I mean, he gets it on her head, comes up behind her. Um, but what does she do? Just like throw him or something? <laughs> I don't remember <laughs> what she does to him. Yeah, she just kind of like raises her arm and just like telekinetically throws him away. And like doesn't even pay like pays no never mind to the fact that he put this like dis, this like discrambler thing on her, uh, and and of course we see like immediately why it's cause, like as soon as it gets on her she's like oh no just kidding this doesn't affect me at all. 
Uh, it's, it's like you just know that all the X-Men in that moment are like, oh, crap. Like, we did all of this. We built this thing. We we bring in the fog, and we all hide and stuff, and we get it on her. And, like, immediately it's like, nope, not going to work. Yeah, I don't know. It must have been a defense. You know, it's sense trouble, so Dark Phoenix took over or something. I don't know. Um, but at some point, Wolverine does get her down on the ground, doesn't he? Somehow? Yeah. So like almost immediately the the neural scrambler thing proves that it doesn't work right like you said she she kind of throws gambit after he puts it on her uh but beast kind of mentions like yeah it might take a little while to like attune to her mind and and actually scramble what we need and so that's kind of why it doesn't work right away like where it gets in the dark phoenix and she's like ah this thing doesn't even work It, it looks like it does take a couple of minutes before it starts to actually like scramble her thoughts. And that's enough where Wolverine is able to like kind of come in and, and he, and he like, wrestles her to the ground a little bit and he's holding her down. And then that's when we see like Jean actually takes control again. And like, instead of saying like, Oh, Logan, like help me or anything like that. She's just like, do it. Like destroy, yeah. like destroy me. It's the only way to get rid of the dark Phoenix. Uh, and it's like, Whoa, that is that's like a serious and and like dark twist that I wasn't really expecting them to have adapted for the cartoon episode. <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's pretty heavy, but also I I think it shows that they've done this just in time because she was going to give up. She yeah. kind of gave up if she wants Wolverine to just end her, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, like you see, I think it's a good point. It's even though we've seen that like she's strong and she's been fighting the Dark Phoenix's control. Obviously, the regression that we've seen here at, at her you know childhood home is, I think, indicative that the Dark Phoenix is getting more and more powerful and it's able to suppress more and more of Jean. And even right. with the help of the Neural Scrambler. In her lucid moment, she's like, "No, you have like you have to end it. Like you have to just destroy it." kill me like do it you know um that 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 has to be a scary thought like i can only imagine like imagine wolverine's pain in that moment like oh my gosh we like we are losing like the xavier was right there like gene is gone like we're going to lose her and this is the only this is the only option of course it's wolverine and he he loves gene so even if she tells him he's not going to do it right (laughs) this is an x3 uh yeah and then scott kind of tries to use that moment as well to to remind her that they love her to kind of keep Jean there and present. Yeah, and I think it, that was that was exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Professor is it Professor Xavier takes that moment to kind of get into her mind. Yeah, so um he comes in and he like attacks her mind um and and she gets up and I think she I think in like in real life, she like knocks him out of his wheelchair or his hover chair, I should say, or she just like completely like dismantles it and like drops him to the ground. Um, and like as she's attacking him, I guess he senses a weakness. And so he's able to then enter the mind of Jean Grey, like on the astral plane. Um, and, and he starts trying to combat the Phoenix on the astral plane. Um, and, and it, at first it looks like he's succeeding. Like he comes in and he's like, oh, you know, this is my, this is my arena now. Like I'm the most powerful telepath. And like, you think that 
you were able to stop Gene. But like, if I'm in here and the two of us are fighting against you, like you have no chance. He uh, is able to change like his astral projection into what appears to be like some sort of like a warrior with like a sword and shield and everything. Yeah. And he, he tries to fight the Phoenix thinking that he's, he's like, you know, he's got this in the bag and like the Phoenix almost just like shrugs it all off and like knocks him down. She, she breaks his psychic armor and like, even on the astral plane, he's as frail as he is in, in real life. Uh, but I, but that it, itself was enough that it does free, it does free Gene at that point. Right. But so did he, did they contain it or did they expel it? The Phoenix. So like watching the episode and watching the sequence, it seemed like they, they kind of like they encased the Phoenix inside of Gene's mind okay. in like in like a, something that looks like the Emkron crystal from the from the Phoenix saga, like a little gem. I, I think that's what it was. Or maybe it was like a bird statue. But no, I, I, I they're able to encase it finally like they, they, they build the walls up around it with the two of them working together. And and Jean is able to then like be in control of herself again and not have to worry about the Dark Phoenix because they've locked it away. They've locked it away in a part of Jean's mind that it should not be able to get out of again. And it sucks because like Xavier comes back out of the astral plane and like everyone's coming to. And it's you know and it seems like yeah the, you know the X Men have won the day they've they've defeated the Dark Phoenix they've helped Jean get her control back. Like everything is now alive and well, nothing bad has happened yet. And that like leads us into our, our closing sequence. And it's the, uh, as we were talking about earlier, the stuff from Shi'ar space where, uh, you know, we have Lalandra calling the Imperial guard to her, like we get the payoff of that little scene. And so why don't you walk us through this last part of the episode? Um, well, uh, yeah. So, uh, Landra comes out of the ship, I think, and backed up by her army and, um, is telling the professor that, um, and the X-Men that she has, uh, Jean Grey has to perish so that they can destroy the Phoenix because it's too dangerous. <laughs> yes. What a damper, you know, like it's, <laughs> she doesn't just come in and be like, we're going to expel the, the Phoenix or, suck it back into the Emkron crystal. Like we're going to do something, you know, she's just like, yeah, like Jean's the host pretty much. So like we have to kill Jean so that the Phoenix will go away. (laughs) That sucks. Yeah. And also that doesn't destroy the Phoenix. The Phoenix would still be around, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Like, Yeah. Yeah, like Jean's just the host. Like you, you kill the host, it's just going to go somewhere else. You know, it's right. a cosmic entity. Like it's, it could untether itself and retether itself to someone else if it wants to. It, it oh, could, it could take over Lelandra if it wanted to. Like that would suck for them. Right. <laughs> so yeah, like free. So something had to happen. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and of course, like, you know, if we've if we've read the, the Dark Phoenix saga in the comics, then like we know that there's there's one last piece of this puzzle. Uh, and, and so, yeah, they had to they had to rush towards that inevitable ending, that inevitable showdown 
because, you know, they, they did a really great job, too, in the Phoenix Saga of, like, setting up how important the Shi'ar are to the Emkron Crystal and to the Phoenix. And so it would be weird to have a Dark Phoenix storyline where they're not involved. Well, right. It would be just like one of the movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. So that, I mean, that that does it for uh, episode three of the Dark Phoenix saga, the Dark Phoenix, you know, the, the titular episode. Um, let me ask you this, Ariana, like, did you like this episode? Yeah, I like this episode. And obviously, because Dark Phoenix is one of my, I mean, I think one of the most powerful characters. She's one of my favorite characters. Um, so I like the stories about her. Um, it, I don't, I watched all the stories before it, so I don't really remember what happens. Obviously, Jean lives, but, um, you know, it was, it's a good story. I liked it better than the films. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're right. Cartoon Dark Phoenix Saga is, is leaps and bounds, you know, ahead of, either of the two live action adaptations that we've gotten. Uh, but I think the reason, the reason why it's so good is because it's, it's such a direct adaptation, like other right. than the stuff with like Kitty pride, it's been like pretty darn accurate. Like they've, they've cut out some of the chaff and stuff that's unnecessary to tell the story uh, with the context that they already have in, you know, set up in the continuity of the cartoon. But like, Every major part, every important story beat from the comics that that makes sense for them to do in the cartoon, they've done and they've done it well. You know, like they've they've really adapted so far. We have three episodes that have adapted about seven of the nine issues Um, and like they've to boil that down to 60 minutes of of animated cartoon has been has been really great. They they haven't added anything unnecessarily or changed focus on any of the of the storylines or anything. They've it's it's to date the most faithful adaptation of a comic storyline so far in this series, and I think it it remains that way until the end of of this show. So that's that's been pretty good, and I think that's like the strength that hey we know that this story is great, and we just want to animate it like we don't want to tell a new story or or explore anything new or try to put our own twist or anything they're just like now we're just going to animate the heck out of this existing story because why would we change it right it's just um um i don't know so you could see it in a more not more entertaining but it's it's certainly easier to I don't know, digest the whole story if you're watching it as opposed to reading it. (laughs) And I appreciate that they stay true to the story because, like you said, that's the reason we love it, so don't change it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, they could have changed some things. Like, they've adapted stories from the comics already, Uh, Days of Future Past being, like, a really important story from the comics that they changed to, to fit the cartoon and, like, they did a really great job with that. They still managed to convey everything important from the comic, but right. they did have to change things. Like it's Bishop that goes back. It's there's Nimrod is involved. Uh, you know, the Brotherhood and, and Mystique and Senator Kelly are all there. So it has all the major plot points, but even that it's not as direct an adaptation. They still took some liberties with telling the story in order for it to fit 
into the the cartoon. But in this one, it was like they crafted all of the lead up so that they didn't have to do that. They're like, we're just going to set it up so that we can just adapt the comic book to a cartoon. And and that's that. And I think that's why this one stands above even the the first Phoenix Saga, why it stands above Days of Future Past, even the apocalypse adaptations where they fight the horsemen, very similar to the comics. But again, they they, they do take liberties. Uh, I think the reason why the Dark Phoenix stands out so much more even than those is because they did take the time to set it up ahead of time so that they can just go in and animate the comics directly. <laughs> and, and this story, not that the other stories aren't in, as important, um, but I think the story they, they should follow. I think we talked, we talked about this, or you were, you were talking about this earlier um, with this particular story. If you change certain things, it's not as powerful. It's not as meaningful to that character and the, and the people around Gene. So I like that they pretty much stayed to the story for this, for this one, when they animated it. Yeah, agreed, agreed. The, the idea of like this, this corrupting power, uh, this, this desire, like, you know, not necessarily like forbidden desire, but like the idea that there's this, this entity that is now experiencing things that it never has before and, and the desire to, to continue to do so like anyone who's tried something new and the new thing they've tried has been really cool understands the feeling of like wanting to do that again or experience even new things. Like there's a reason why there are like adrenaline addicts and, and daredevils and stuff like that in real life. It's because pushing the boundaries. And that's one thing that we didn't really touch upon, like is, is the dark Phoenix's commentary during their various showdowns. Um, she she does mention, and we kind of skipped over it because we were just mostly talking about the action, but some of the things that the Phoenix says during their battles is are things like, you know, why is it not as fulfilling to fight an enemy that is not a threat at all? And why is it more exhilarating when I actually feel like I'm in danger? Like, th- these are sensations that, like, this this being has never felt before. And, like, even in real life, to, to normal human beings, that sort of feeling is addicting. So dial that up to a, a, a being that's near omnipotent that has never experienced that thing before. And it's easy to see why it becomes, you know, the, the dark Phoenix, why it goes down this path. And, and to, to frame that against someone like Jean Grey, who is, who has experienced things like this, who who has things like true love in her life and, and has probably felt all kinds of, of fulfillment. Uh, it, it's just a very interesting dichotomy to see. And, and yeah, like you said, not really something that we've seen in either of the two live action adaptations yet. And also the Phoenix didn't really have to operate within um morality or social norms and so the idea of good and evil to phoenix is like nothing so um i could see how it would just kind of go head on into these um experiences of feeling things because they never have not in that way and then you put that power in someone like gene who i think is a very moral character very um 
it's kind of weird because for the same the, those same qualities in Cyclops annoy the crap out of me. But <laughs> Jean, I'm like, yeah, see, Jean's right. You know what I mean? I don't know why that is. <laughs> uh, but she's like Cyclops. She is like a, the the straight and narrow person. Like you can count on them to always do the right thing or the good thing. And so when you have something like Phoenix in her, just kind of letting loose and controlling everything just to feel. It's uh, it's it's quite a battle there, I think. So. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I think the reason why it's acceptable in Jean is because Jean caring about others and like wanting to do what's right and wanting what's best for everyone. It's like those are just the qualities of a good mom. But with Cyclops having those same qualities, he just kind of comes off as like a narc <laughs> rather yeah. than like a good father. It's like. No, dude, you just want to take the wind out of my sail. Like, Gene just doesn't want me to get hurt, but you're like, right. you just don't <laughs> want me to have fun. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it turns out. I mean, I, I know that Phoenix is trapped, but it could probably learn something from Gene. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know if they'll get to that. So far, it's been pretty uh, like pretty direct adaptation of yeah. uh, of the comics and I don't remember the Phoenix learning any important lessons in the last two issues of the comic series so I don't think it'll be learning any lessons in uh in this next episode other than like the the idea of self sacrifice maybe you know um yeah or at least no, learn there's a lot it doesn't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? It could be a very powerful cosmic being, and there's a lot that it doesn't comprehend because it's not in a form like Gene. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some sort of like cosmic moderation where it's like uh, this is something that I need to learn slowly and, and not just like experience after experience after experience, but rather like a small experience and then self-reflection and then, you know, determine like carefully plan out what my next experience will be. And like, yeah, I don't, I don't think it has any, any of that kind of realization. Uh, but I do like that in this one, it's more of like a corruption than right. a seduction. Like, right. I don't know, sometimes like it felt like the dark Phoenix movie with, with the newer characters that like once the weird alien thing showed up, that it was like trying to seduce the dark Phoenix into doing evil rather right. than the way it is in, in this, where it's like, like you said, it doesn't really understand morality or, or it believes itself to be beyond the concept of good and evil. Right. Uh, but, but it's, but it really isn't. And so it's been corrupted rather than like seduced by desire. I don't know. It's almost like it's a child learning some things for the first time instead of just, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like you feel automatically feel something when you do something. What's that called? My brain sucks. Um, like a child, like mm-hmm. say they like chocolate. They just want to eat chocolate and eat it and eat it and, eat it, and they're not going to think, oh, I have a stomach ache or this isn't good for me or I'll have to brush my teeth. You know, I mean, that's not exactly what, I, you know what I'm trying to say? Like yeah. it's like a child learning for the first time that just because this is exhilarating doesn't mean that's the best thing. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking too hard on this. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, yeah, I, I like you. I, I also enjoyed this episode. Um, I don't know if this one is better than either of the previous two episodes. Certainly not as a standalone 
episode. Like I think the Dark Phoenix part one and even to a degree the Dark Phoenix part two, I feel like you can sit down and watch either of those episodes out of context and like really enjoy them. Not to, not to say that they're like complete one-off stories because they're not. They're they're obviously parts of a whole. But they're they're just like they're action packed. They're they're super fast paced. There's all kinds of stuff going on, and it's really exciting and interesting. And this episode is more like the X Men fight Gene, and then Gene goes to space, and then the X Men fight Gene, and then Gene wins, but then the Shi'ar show up. And so I think that this one is probably not as exciting. It's not nearly as like as fast paced uh, as as the two previous ones. But I do think that this is still an excellent episode of the show. Like, obviously, at this point, it's like the third best episode that they've made of the series, you know, as as the third part of the Dark Phoenix saga. But, yeah, that was one of the things that I, I noticed about each of the last two episodes. It was like after the end of part one, it's like, oh, man, this is the best episode that they've made so far. And then I felt the same after episode two, like, holy cow, that was even better than than part one. Um I think this part, part three, is is just as good, but it doesn't have that, like, oh, man, that was even better than last time. Right. It's more like a, it feels like a, especially the way it ended, it's just like a little stepping stone in between to see what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, this was the episode that bridges us from, right. like, our two-part our two part, uh, introduction to our finale. Right. Uh, it, it's it's important and it's very good. It's extremely well executed. It, the action is good. The emotional beats in it are good. Uh, but it is it, it is just a, a, a stepping stone to the finale. It'll be good. It'll yeah. be finale. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I think that's it, Ariana, uh, for for the episode breakdown. Uh, unless you have any last thoughts, I think that uh, I think that we can call it a show. No, that, that's it. Thank you. Summed it up pretty good. Yeah. No. Same. Same. It, it was a good conversation. Um, I'm glad that you were were here for this episode because uh, you you pointed out a couple of things that I don't think I realized while I was watching, and so that's always fun. Uh, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to bring you on again at some point for another episode. I think this is like the. The next episode is like the penultimate episode of the season, so we'll have to start looking at, uh, you know, what episodes in season four you'd like to come on for. Um, okay. But yeah, otherwise, otherwise, yeah, um, I, this is usually where I have my my hosts plug their own stuff. But I know that you don't have uh, your own podcast or, or, or anything like that, so um, I'll just say, yeah, thanks for coming back, and we'll definitely bring you back again at some point in season four. Okay, thanks for having me. It was fun. So, bub, there you have it. That is my conversation with my big sister, Ariana, breaking down X-Men, the animated series, season three, episode 16, the Dark Phoenix saga, part three, the Dark Phoenix. Uh, great episode. Uh, I don't feel like it was quite as high energy as the last two specific episodes of the show, but as part three of four, it was an excellent episode. And it was a lot of fun breaking that one down as well. Of course, talking all of the various uh, storylines featuring the Dark Phoenix. That, that's always fun. 
I've, I've shared my opinions on the dark Phoenix on here several times, but it was fun to like sit down and, and talk about both of the movies at the same time and compare those to the comic book. And of course the actual cartoon storyline, the, the cartoon adaptation, which seems to be the measuring stick uh, by which every other X-Men fan measures up any kind of dark Phoenix storyline. You know, it's, it's, there's one way to adapt the story and it's the way X-Men, the animated series did it. So yeah, a lot of fun, a great conversation and just a fun episode. It's always fun having my sister back on. We didn't really talk too much about our childhood like we usually do, but you know, it is what it is. There's a lot of Disney stuff to talk about, a lot of Marvel stuff to talk about. And, and again, you know, with dark Phoenix, there's, there's just so much to discuss. Bub, if you like the show and want to keep the conversation going, make sure you join the Talkin' Snicked Discord. The link to join should be down in the show notes, so go ahead and find that. Uh, otherwise, you can reach out to me via email, talksnicked at gmail.com, uh, and I'll uh, get that link out to you, and you can join the Discord. It's a lot of fun. There's there's about 15 of us in there now, give or take. And uh, yeah, it's uh, we're starting to have pretty regular conversations, talking X-Men comics, uh, talking episodes of X-Men, the animated series, just sharing pictures of various collections and, and all kinds of stuff. So bubs, uh, stay tuned for next week as we close out the dark Phoenix saga. I'm working on, uh, getting the scheduled all ready and set for my uh, returning special guest, someone I haven't had on since we covered season one. So I'm really looking forward to having this guy back on. I'm really crossing my fingers that everything works out with the scheduling um, and that I don't have to do the finale of the Dark Phoenix as a solo episode. So uh, cross your fingers all as well that uh, everything works out and I'm able to get this guy back on and and talk with him again because I've been really itching to uh, talk X-Men with this guy. So, Bub, that pretty much covers it for today. Until next time, Bub.